You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about Citizens, please visit citizensbhm.com. Well, I hope everyone is rejuvenated um, and rested in the new year. Um, and I hope your New Year's resolutions have gone well. It's week one. You have 51 more to go. And uh, this is a perfect time. You know, people you usually say, new year, new me. Uh, so we have a new year, but we're in the same series. So Luke uh, is where we're at. And we're a little bit halfway through. And we're going to continue to make our way through Luke. And it's been a minute since we... Last, we're in Luke, and uh, Justin actually preached chapter 16 uh, back on, in November, which feels a long time ago now. But last time he taught on how Jesus was explaining how our riches and our time on earth is actually limited, yet our choices are permanent. Ultimately showing how Jesus is our only hope. And today we're talking about forgiveness. And this idea of forgiveness can often be confusing because people have all sorts of views on what forgiveness actually is. See, some people say forgiveness is just to forgive and forget. To actually forget about what's happened. And others actually think it's impossible to even forgive in such a broken world with some big injustices. And today we're going to explore what Jesus actually has to say about forgiveness because he had a lot to say on forgiveness. And I know forgiveness is hard. I know for me as a kid growing up, forgiveness was a big deal in my home. My mom always made sure that we asked forgiveness and I don't know what type of home you grew up, but we were the kind of hug it out type of home. You know, and... I didn't really always appreciate the hugs and all that stuff in those moments as, an, as a boy growing up with two sisters. I, I mean, I woke up every day, you know, my mission was to annoy them as much as I could and get them to the breaking point. So I found myself in this position of asking for forgiveness a lot. And oftentimes I would have to extend that forgiveness to others. And as soon as something would happen, my mom would find out. Things would happen and then I would hear my name and my middle name called and I would have to come down the stairs and say, what's up, you know? And I knew it was hug time. And these hugs were often inauthentic and felt just a little bit forced because I was being asked to forgive my siblings when I really didn't feel like it. And if we're honest, forgiveness oftentimes still feels that way. That even though we don't have a hug it out system as adults, we can still feel like forgiveness is actually very difficult and something we don't want to do. And so it becomes even more confusing on what forgiveness is because our offenses as we grow up become greater and greater. And they can lead us to a dark place of bitterness and resentment. And so in today's passage, what we'll see um, is not only what it means to ask for forgiveness or say sorry, but what it actually means to walk in Jesus' way of forgiveness. 
See, Jesus not only models for us what forgiveness is with his own life, but over and over again in his teachings, he's talking about this idea of forgiveness and he emphasizes that our duty as believers is to forgive others. And what we'll see today is that we can forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. That we can forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. Amen? So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he ultimately give up his life for the sins of the world. And in these first 10 verses, we see him once again teaching his disciples as he so often did. And if you read this passage at first glance, you may think that these ideas are kind of unrelated as Jesus talks about temptation and faith. And he talks about forgiveness and what it all means for us as believers to forgive others and what our duty is. But Jesus actually ties it all together to show us how this is central to the Christian faith. Read with me at verse 1. He says, And he said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of the little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive. See, Jesus opens his teaching reminding the disciples about two important facts in life. And the first is that in this world, temptation is sure to come. That in a world where evil reigns, we should expect temptation to come. That we are going to experience and we're going to see others experience temptations. And we see that Jesus himself is, is tempted, right? When he's in the desert and Satan comes and promises the kingdoms of this world to Jesus, he experiences that temptation as well. And he's trying to remind them, hey, this is a real and tangible part of your life and will continue to be so. And secondly, he gives them a warning saying, woe to them through whom temptations come. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, the only thing worse than giving into temptation is actually being the person through whom temptation comes. He's trying to point out to the fact that there's a condemnation in place for people who tempt others. And he's saying, he's going to take it further even to say, hey, it's better for that person to have a millstone tied to their neck and thrown into the sea than to go through this condemnation. A millstone was a, a big rock they would use to kind of, uh, you know, grind the grain to turn it into flour. This was a huge stone. Now you can imagine this tied to somebody's neck and then thrown overboard. What would happen? This person would immediately start grasping for air. Water would fill their lungs. And before you know it, they'd be dead. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's still better. It's better for, for you to go through that than to go through the condemnation that will come for the person who becomes the stumbling block. And 
as we read, right, this passage, we can deduct that this stumbling block that Jesus is talking about perhaps is one's unwillingness to forgive. Saying forgiveness isn't natural, right? You're probably going to be tempted not to do this. You're going to probably be tempted not to forgive others. But there is a greater responsibility for us as believers to be able to forgive others as a witness to say, hey, if we're going to talk about Jesus and his forgiveness, then let's make sure we're not a temptation for others to say, well, I mean, he's not really forgiving. So why should, why should I... Why should I trust in Jesus? Why should I talk about Jesus when when you're not really forgiving either? And he reminds his disciples to be on guard, watch for each other. He challenges them to think about the way they live their lives. He tells them if someone sins, you're to rebuke them. If they repent, you should forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times a day and then repent, you should forgive them. And you married people know exactly what that is, right? You should forgive them. See, Jesus is getting at the core of what it means to be a believer that because we are forgiven, we should be a forgiving people. And there are two kind of key ideas I don't want us to overlook. And the first is that we are called as Christians to not only correct, but actually extend forgiveness. See, as Christians, sin isn't something we should take lightly. And when somebody sins, the loving thing to do is not to go around their back talking about how that person failed or how they made us feel, but to actually correct that person and address that problem, not as a way to put them down, but as a way to give them an opportunity to step in the repentance that Jesus is calling them to. And you're ultimately, when you correct somebody in their sin, you're giving that person a chance to walk in the way of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me. It does not mean we have to become the correction department in the church, okay? You don't bear that responsibility. The Holy Spirit can do that already. And there are plenty of examples in scriptures on how you should address other people in sin, But we have to shift our minds uh, from this idea of correction and confronting and addressing problems to think about it in a way that's positive and not negative, where we think, hey, this correction and confrontation that I'm able to bring is actually giving them a chance to play out their faith. And ultimately a chance for that person to draw near to God and for me to witness the reconciliation and forgiveness that I've already experienced in Jesus in a real and tangible way. And in this way, we see that correction is actually a good thing. And secondly, we see that our forgiveness should be continual. See, Jesus doesn't limit forgiveness. He doesn't say, well, if someone sins against you a couple of times or three times or four times, like you're good, you know? It's kind of a pattern at this point. See, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, if someone offends you seven times a day, I don't know about you, but if someone offended me seven times a day, it'd be really tough for me to go, I'm gonna forgive them seven times. But he says, you gotta forgive them seven times. And because 
of this forgiveness and this kind of emphasis that Jesus puts on it, I think it begs us asking the question, well, what is forgiveness? Is it forgetting about what happened and automatically being cool with someone after they offend you or they sin? Or is it something that we should only do if someone actually asks me for forgiveness? See, all these questions tend to pop into our mind when we think about forgiveness. And the reality is that there is a difference between forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. And it's something that we should have clear in our minds that in order for me to forgive, I actually don't need someone to necessarily come and ask for that forgiveness. That I can forgive someone without them even being involved in the equation. That I can forgive someone without them asking. Essentially, what we're doing when we forgive is I'm saying, hey, I'm going to choose not to pursue revenge. I'm going to choose not to constantly bring it up. I'm going to choose not to dwell on that thing and I am going to forgive. And all those feelings you might feel when you don't want to forget, they're, they're valid, right? We live in a broken world. We live in a world where these offenses and things that have been done to us are real. But the reality is that we can forgive someone and still feel angry, still feel sad, still feel disappointed. And all these things we can bring before Jesus, knowing that he's granted us forgiveness. And as we center our hearts on Jesus, that we extend that forgiveness and he changes our hearts to actually change our affections and how we feel over time. And on the other hand, right, to be reconciled to someone, we actually need a process, a process where we come to terms on what has happened process where we acknowledge the hurt and we have a conversation and we are reconciled. And that doesn't mean our relationship necessarily goes back to exactly where it was. There's a whole process of restoration where now I need to gain that trust back. And the perfect example for us to understand this is if you left $20 on that chair and I took them and I don't say sorry, you're probably not going to leave a hundred on the chair, right? You're probably going to say, you know what? Charlie took the $20. And the loving thing would be, hey, Charlie, you took my 20 bucks. What's up? You know? And I might say, I'm sorry. You might still have to forgive me if I don't say sorry. But if we want to be reconciled, I would have to come to terms with the fact that I took the $20. And we would have to talk about it. And you would probably tell me, hey, you hurt my feelings when you took my $20. And I would have to say, you know what? I did. Here's $20. And maybe now we'd be reconciled. You still might not leave $100 on the chair. You might still go, well, you know, we might be reconciled, but I'm not going to put the $100 in front of Charlie. And that's the difference between reconciliation and restoration because in order for you to start leaving money on the chair again, maybe I have to earn that. 
to where you leave a dollar or a dime and you notice Charlie didn't take it. And now you leave two dollars and Charlie didn't take it. And now I can build up that trust to a place where we are restored. And maybe you get to a point where you leave a thousand dollars and Charlie didn't take it. And that's what restoration can do, right? It's a process where through that trust that I earn, my relationship can not only get to where we were, but even better. And that's what Jesus can do through this process of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. And that's why Jesus points to this practice as, of forgiveness as something that we personally are responsible for choosing. And no matter what the other person does, I can still choose forgiveness. That he doesn't make it optional for his followers, but rather he reminds the disciples that practicing forgiveness is ultimately following in the way of Jesus. And I love how the disciples respond. See, when Jesus challenges the disciples in this way, they only have one response and they go, well, Lord, increase our faith. The disciples go, man, Jesus, that's a, that's a lot. I don't know if we have enough faith for that. And if we're honest, many of us would probably respond in the same way. We would probably go, God, I don't know. With that person, it's tough. I don't know if I, if I can actually be doing all this that you're talking about. And in one sense, perhaps to the disciples to recognize this is tough stuff. This, this life that Jesus is calling me is not something easy. Props to them. But in another sense, Jesus says, well, hey, if you had a little faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell the mulberry tree with which those trees had huge roots. They would get all over the ground. But you could tell that tree to get off of the earth and throw it into the sea and it would obey you. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, it doesn't take a lot of faith for me to be able to forgive someone else. It actually takes me following in obedience. And see, when we forgive, we are actually exercising our faith. And oftentimes we think our faith should be this thing that we kind of just use when we don't know what we're doing or we don't know where we're going. But that's not what faith is about. And I love how David Garland puts this. He says, faith is actually a response to God's initiative that trusts that we are empowered to do what God requires of us. Faith is this thing, this response to God's initiative that trusts that we are empowered to do what God requires. Meaning when I exercise faith, we choose to forgive. We're exercising that faith, right? And because we are believing that God has empowered to do so, even when it feels tough where I simply don't want to do it, that's what it means for us to exercise our faith, to believe that we have been empowered to forgive others. See, I don't know about you, but oftentimes forgiveness can feel impossible. It can feel like I need this extraordinary thing or maybe this thing outside of me or this huge help from God to be able to forgive that person because I just can't do it. And what Jesus is getting at is that forgiveness requires obedience, not extraordinary faith. 
that in order for us to truly forgive those around us, we don't need to reach out for this thing that will hopefully come one day where I can forgive somebody else, but that as children of God, we have already been given everything I need in order to forgive others, and I can just extend that freely. Meaning rather than hoping to attain this extraordinary faith prior to forgiving by recognizing my own need for Jesus, I'm actually growing in my faith. That Jesus wants to use these moments in your life to actually bring us closer to him. Recognizing our need and reminding ourselves that we have been given, forgiven the greatest debt we could have been forgiven, which should lead us to love, compassion, and a desire to forgive others. See, forgiving others shouldn't be about just self-actualization. Thinking the only reason I can forgive someone else is because it's going to free me. It's going to bring peace to my own mind. It's going to make sure that I don't feel those feelings anymore. And now don't get me wrong. Jesus can bring all those things into your life. But that's not what forgiveness is about. See, Christian forgiveness, as Tim Keller puts it, grounds itself in first honoring God. That I, don't, I don't look at forgiveness as my thing for me to feel better, but I actually see it as a way to honor God. And secondly, forgiveness is grounded on this idea of the common good of not only the other person, but God and your neighbor as well. And as we extend forgiveness, we're actually giving that person an opportunity to repair and repent for their sake and for the sake of others. And it's only when we do this that we can actually seek justice, right? Because justice actually says, hey, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to make something wiped away. Whereas vengeance says, I'm going to be excessive. So as we come upon situations where we need to forgive, maybe ask yourself, am I looking for an extraordinary faith? Am I seeking for something to come from somewhere else that will help me be able to forgive without following Jesus' obedience and excusing myself in that? When we center our affections on Jesus and his forgiveness, our heart can be changed to say, man, I'm going to forgive freely. I don't have to wait for this thing outside of me. I can make the decision today. And as Christians, we're called to live a life of obedience. And Jesus says, hey, life of obedience includes forgiveness, whether we like it or not. In the last verses of this passage, Jesus actually decides to illustrate his point. Look with me at verse 7. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come into the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress appropriately and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he has done what has been commanded to him? 
So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. See, the servant would have been expected to tend for the sheep, to go plow the field, to come home and cook the meal and serve his master. And he wouldn't have, a, he wouldn't have had a, a party thrown because he did the stuff that was expected from him. And in, other, and in the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, watch out to think that because you forgive, you're doing something that you should be applauded for. Because in, in the life of a believer, forgiveness should be expected. See, you're not better than anyone else when you actually forgive, but you're actually living into what it means to follow Jesus. See, as Christians, forgiveness isn't something that should be expected, but we should also not expect some sort of reward from Jesus where we go, oh, well, now I'm better with Jesus because I forgave so-and-so. Should be a way of us following Jesus, extending the same forgiveness that he's offered to us, to others. And on one hand, you might have this temptation to feel like there's some sort of prize you should be given for actually forgiving. Many of us will think, hey, if I forgive, I should be rewarded for that because I'm following in the way of Jesus, and that's not the case. And for others of us, we actually might think that this idea of forgiving is this thing we can kind of flaunt, like, ah, I've forgiven that person already, as this thing that makes us a better Christian. And what Jesus is getting at, he's saying, hey, this isn't something that makes you a better Christian. This is actually what you're expected to do. That as a Christian, forgiveness should be a way of life. That bitterness and resentment actually have no space in the Christian life. In that same way, when we are unwilling to forgive, we fail to see our own need for Jesus. When you decide you're not going to forgive, all you're showing is how little you understand about Jesus' forgiveness for you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And Jesus models this forgiveness himself at the cross that as he's hanging there, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus models this forgiveness that as he's chilling with the Father and the Spirit, he embodies himself and comes to earth to live a perfect life, to love some people that he wants to save. And those same people crucify him And even then, he models forgiveness and says, Father, forgive them. And if that's what Jesus has done, how much more should you forgive when we don't love like Jesus, when we haven't lived the perfect life? Jesus' call for us to forgive is something that he models up until his death. And that shows, church, that our forgiveness is actually our duty as believers. It's not something that we are to boast upon. It's not something that we are to take lightly. It's not something that we offer unilaterally to everyone by just forgetting about what happened and moving on. 
Forgiveness is an act of recognizing that I'm also in deep need of Jesus. It's a way of saying, hey, Jesus, because I need you and you have forgiven me, I'm going to choose to forgive this person as well. And I want to encourage you this morning to take a minute, even as we do communion, and maybe ask, what would it look like for me to actually forgive that person who harmed me? What would it look like for me to forgive the person who never apologized and I just can't let it go? What would it look like for me to extend forgiveness to others on a regular basis without keeping the tally of what they're doing? What would it look like for me to extend forgiveness to others without expecting anything in return or some sort of reward? Church, I know forgiveness can be really, really difficult. And the things that have been done against us can't be taken lightly because they're real offenses, real injustices that we have had to live through. Can I propose to you something this morning? What if rather than shying away from the things that hurt you so much and finding a way to resolve it on your own, you actually approach others in your community to say, hey, I'm angry. Hey, I'm sad. I don't think I can forgive. I don't feel like I can get over this thing that's been in my heart against this person for what they did to me. And what would it look like to say, will you help me walk through this? Will you help me find a way to be able to forgive this person and pursue maybe reconciliation if that's the case? Or maybe it's just saying, hey, I want to forgive that person and I have not made the space in my life to be able to process any of it. Will you help me process through this so I can forgive them? What if rather than shying away from it, we actually leaned in into believing God's promise that there's something beautiful that happens when we actually forgive. And in a broken world like ours, our forgiveness can actually be a beam of hope to remind us that things will not ever be this way that one day there will be a time that comes where everything will be made new and this thing that I've been carrying for years will never be there anymore. Church, the forgiveness we have been granted can become more real and real in our lives as we forgive others. That forgiving others is actually not a burden, but a privilege I get as a way to see the forgiveness that Jesus has granted me in my life. That there's a beautiful thing that happens, that I don't have to carry forgiveness as this burden of this thing that I have to do but rather that the very thing that frees us from the power of bitterness and resentment in our hearts is actually forgiveness. And when viewed in this way, we start to recognize that when I forgive, the other person actually doesn't win. Oftentimes we think, oh, if I forgive them, they'll win. They'll get what they, they did. I actually lose. 
When we extend forgiveness to others, we get to experience the forgiveness that we have already received in Jesus. We're not losing anything by forgiving, but rather gaining everything. As God starts working in our hearts and recentering our affection for Him and being able to bring peace and comfort and love and hope for our hearts. Church, we can forgive because God has forgiven us. That's the difference between our forgiveness as Christians and any other forgiveness. Everyone would agree that we all want that forgiveness is a good thing, that you should forgive, that we we should pursue forgiveness. But the reality is that true forgiveness is found in Jesus. And we as believers get to experience that forgiveness in him. We can experience that forgiveness and we can forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. Amen.